right, and welcome in, everybody. This is another episode of Connor in Coverage here. I am your host, Connor Riley. We're talking the latest in Georgia football, news, notes, recruiting, scheduling, really anything that sort of comes up up and about Georgia football these days. And today we got a chance to talk to Dan Lanning, some good insight there. Obviously, a couple stories up already on Dog Nation. I'm talking about the Georgia offense. I'm talking about Will Muschamp who made the move to on-field coach after the news regarding Scott Cochran earlier this weekend, uh, talking about Georgia defensive back play. We're going to talk a little bit about what he said about, I would say, Georgia's two most talented defensive linemen at this point in time, Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Georgia running backs. I think there was a really interesting online discussion this week spurred on by our own uh, Mike Griffith. Sort of talking about the running back position, how I see it, and sort of why it is a strength that it is and why it's not necessarily fair to try and say, hey, if game's on the line, I want this guy getting the ball. And then at the end of the show, we're going to take a little time to talk about Bobby Bowden, who, uh, you know, in reflecting on his career and the impact he had on the sport of college football, uh, it's certainly a sad day to not have a coach like him around anymore. And he's someone, quite frankly, I think the sport of college football – needs a little bit more of going forward as it becomes this 24-7 grind. I think Baden was a guy who understood that championships, national championships and all that, winning is great, but it's not everything in life. And at the end of the day, you know, you're not always going to be happy with what the football product on the field gives you. So you have to, I think, pursue what makes you happy away from the field. And Bobby Bowden certainly did that. And so we'll sort of end the show t- talking about him a little bit tonight, as well as answering your questions. You have any comments, thoughts, uh, Georgia deep into practice. Now they have their first big scrimmage on Saturday. Should learn a lot there on some of the position battles that are coming up. As far as where things stand, some injury news, obviously, Warren Erickson suffering a hand injury. That's going to shake things up, not just at the center position, but I think on the offensive line as a whole, how it impacts, say, Tate Ratledge, who is competing for a starting job. That's certainly something to watch for there. But our main topic tonight, we're going to talk about the defensive line. We're going to talk about what Dan Lanning had to say about both Jordan Davis, who I realize now I spelled his name wrong, in the lower third that you can see on your screen below there, and Trayvon Walker. And I, I think Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker, as I touched on a little bit there at the top, they are the two most talented defensive linemen that Georgia has. They have, I believe, the highest upside as it currently stands right now as far as what their roles and potential could look like in this 2021 season. Jordan Davis makes the decision to come back to Georgia for his senior season. And a year ago, I myself included, thought he was someone who was a draftable talent, potentially second or third round guy, a guy who could be an elite run stuffer at the next level. He already is that at the college level and someone who potentially put in the right situation could develop as a pass rusher, but he came back to Georgia for another season because he wants to develop as a pass rusher. In addition to all that comes with, I think now being one of the faces of the Georgia football program. And so I asked Dan Lanning today, you get Jordan Davis back for another year. How are you looking to utilize and get the most out of him? Because he is a guy who has the potential to play more, but a lot of that, as we have heard and gotten to know, is on Jordan Davis. He needs to slim down, and he has done so from where he was as a sophomore to where he physically is now. He's still got a little bit ways to go, but they want to see Jordan Davis become a three-down player. And I thought Lanning's comments on Davis today and what they're looking to get out of him this season were very insightful in, for, in terms of what to really try and expect from Davis this season. Jordan just doesn't get moved. I know we always talk about his size, um, you know, but I think one thing that he's continuing to, to improve on uh, it's not just be a guy that doesn't get moving and eats up a block, but be a guy that separates from a block. You know, I'm, I'm anticipating Jordan being a guy that can play, you know, three downs. He's got to get his body in position where he can do that because he is extremely athletic. He's super talented. And when his conditioning 
you know, fits that. He, he's a guy that can create uh, issues on first and second down. When you have a guy that's Jordan's size, offenses are going to try to get the ball away from Jordan, and they're going to try to say, hey, we're, we're going to make him a non-factor. Um, but you see some plays, like in the Cincinnati game, we showed as a team defense the other day uh, of Jordan running the ball down, um, and that's because of his conditioning. So if he's able to maintain that, it's going to allow him uh, to really push himself and, and be a guy that can – being every down player for us. Yeah, so you hear there, every down player. That's what I think they want Jordan Davis to become for Georgia in this 2021 season because the reality is, it, you know, next year when he's off to the NFL, there's going to be a lot of talk in the preseason and in the offseason, well, how do you replace Jordan Davis? And the reality is you don't. He is a a one-of-one one type player, sort of, you know, how you think of, say, Darnell Washington on the offensive side of the ball. His size and athleticism is just not something that you can go find, even among, say, five-star prospects out there in the recruiting ranks. So they're going to have they're going to be tasked with getting the most out of Jordan Davis. And I can absolutely tell you defensive linemen are going to look to see how Jordan Davis really develops in this last year, because I think if he has the year that people think he can have where he's shown flashes in the past, specifically in some big games, they, Dan Lanning mentioned the Cincinnati game there. He had a sack in the Florida game his sophomore year, a sack in the Texas A&M game as a sophomore. If he develops as a pass rusher this year and can get to say four or five sacks on the season, in addition to all that he brings as a run stuffer, He's absolutely going to be a first-round pick. He could potentially be a Derrick Brown-type player if he is able to stay on the field and if Georgia is able to put him in a position to get the absolute most out of him. I think it's something that's certainly going to be watching. And I'd point out that first game against Clemson, there are going to be a lot of really talented defensive linemen on the field that day. Tyler Davis, Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas, all on the Clemson side of the ball. And I think Jordan Davis, if things pan out and hit well for him, he's got a chance to be the best defensive lineman on a field that – might have three or four possible first-round draft picks along the defensive line there. So, again, you hear you hear Lanning say, you've heard Kirby Smart say this before, the biggest thing with Jordan Davis is conditioning at this point. Can he get to a place where he can, over the course of, say, 50, 60 plays in a game, be on the field for the Georgia defense? It's one thing to be a disruptive player on first and second down, but when you're ending drives on third down, as I think Georgia envisions Davis is doing that this season – that takes you to a whole nother stratosphere and goes from an all SEC player, which he already is right now, first team up preseason all SEC, and potentially becoming an all American type player. And moving gears here a little bit, and I realize that's a terrible jumping off point for the guy I'm going to talk about next. But Trayvon Walker was another guy that you've heard this coaching staff talk up a lot and say they have high expectations for. He's finally moving into a starting role after Malik Herring, who had a, a very good Georgia career, moves on to the NFL and signs with the Chiefs after unfortunately tearing his ACL in the Senior Bowl. But from day one, from kickoff one, when I saw him running down there on kickoff as a true freshman, this dude has just – Trayvon Walker has just stood out because of his athleticism. He ended the Auburn game with a big sack there, and I think he is someone who this coaching staff envisions as – fundamentally revolutionizing the way they have used that defensive end position before. It has traditionally been a hold the line, know your role, know your rush lane. Don't try and be too disruptive. As I'm about to hear, as you're about to hear from Dan Lanning, they're going to need Trayvon Walker to be absolutely disruptive this season. And he is a guy with his athletic skill set and the small strides that he made as a freshman and a sophomore as a role player, I think has the potential to be just an absolute havoc wreaker this season. As That's not even a word there. But that's how good Trayvon Walker, I think, can be. And you hear Dan Lanning talk about him. I'm going to play it for you right now. They simulate maybe even higher a higher ceiling than Jordan Davis in terms of what they expect out of him this season. A lot of TFLs, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of plays in the backfield. I want to see this guy running sideline to sideline. Um, I have high expectations for Trayvon. Um, you know, his, his athleticism is really unique. 
he's the guy that we're always trying to figure out how can we incorporate uh, in our scheme. And, you know, we're asking him to do more this year. We're doing more with him this year than we've ever done. And I think Trayvon's really, you know, bought into that. And uh, it's showing up daily out there on the practice field. Listen to that. They're asking Trayvon to do more. And, you know, it's a guy who's frankly already going to be asked to do a lot, but maybe even more so than any player, I think, on the Georgia defense and what they're going to be asked to do. Because, again, as was the case with Malik Herring, they're going to expect that defensive end position to be a key, por- key part in stopping the opposing running game. And Georgia's had the number one rush defense in each of the last two seasons. But in a way that Herring wasn't asked to do, Trayvon Walker is going to be asked to pressure the pass rusher. He's going to, or quarterback, excuse me. He's going to be asked to, to fill some of the role left behind by guys like Jermaine Johnson and Aziz Ojolari. So while, yes, Georgia does have other pass rushing options, if Trayvon Walker is able to consistently pressure the opposing quarterback, whether that be in the third down situation or from that edge position early in first and second down, again, if Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker hit, I know there are a lot of concerns about the secondary, which I wrote about on Dog Nation today. Those concerns go away, if, quite frankly, if Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis, I think, have the season the Georgia coaching staff expects them to have. You think about SEC football, football and what the big difference is between, say, the Pac-12, the Big 12, ACC, and even the Big 10. And it's along the offensive and defensive lines. And if Georgia is able to turn these two guys who have immense upside into actual on-field tangible results – this Georgia team is going to be as good as any team in the country. And obviously, yes, a lot of that at the end of the day comes down to the offense and how JT Daniels plays, but it's going to make things a lot, lot easier on JT Daniels, specifically that first game against Clemson, where Clemson has some major questions in their offensive line that are going to need answered. If Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis have monster games that day and are just destroying the Clemson offensive line, as we saw Clemson's offensive line sort of get pushed around in that game against Ohio State a season ago. I think that could be a very, very good sign for Georgia in that first game against Clemson because I've said time and time again, whoever's offensive line blocks better in that first game wins that game. And while, yes, Brian Brzee was a five-star, I believe number one overall prospect in the 2020 class, Miles Murphy, number one, or a five-star defensive end, Xavier Thomas, number three player in the 2018 recruiting cycle. Well, they have a lot of talent there. It should be forgotten that Georgia does as well. It just needs to sort of like Clemson has made a blueprint – use that defensive line and actually generate some real production from there because traditionally that has not been the case under Georgia and its defense since Kirby Smart has taken over. But I think this year the talent and the pieces are there on the defensive line, specifically spearheaded by guys like Trayvon Walker and guys like Jordan Davis to really have a true difference-making defensive line both from a talent standpoint and also from a depth standpoint because we haven't even mentioned, say, guys – like a Devontae White or Jalen Carter or Julian Rochester, along with some of the other younger players that they have out there. This Georgia defensive line is not just talented at the top. It's talented up and down the lineup, and they're going to be able to rotate and play a lot of guys. But at the end of the day, if this Georgia defensive line is going to reach its ceiling, it's going to be because Trayvon Walker plays out of his mind and Jordan Davis plays up to being a first-round defensive tackle in this 2022 NFL draft. So that's our first topic for tonight. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor and Coverage. You can watch this every Tuesday night. We are on Dog Nation homepage, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch. If you're listening to us on the podcast, thank you guys so much for that. I really appreciate it. You can get that on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, wherever you guys get your podcasts. We're going to do this every Tuesday night. might change a little bit in the season depending on the availability and whether or not we're actually able to attend those in person. But for right now, every Tuesday night at 8, we're going to bring you the latest on Georgia news, notes, thoughts, whatever's really going on. Touched on the defensive line there at the top a little bit. Now we're going to move to our second topic of the night. 
And that would be talking about the running back position. And this was sort of spread on over the weekend by a poll put out by Mike Griffith, who asked, and I'll pull it up for you guys right now, if you could choose only one current Georgia running back for this season, who would it be? And unsurprisingly, in my opinion, Kendall Milton is the runaway favorite there. Jameer White in second, Kenny McIntosh in third, and James Cook in fourth. And the reason it's not surprising to me is, one, Kendall Milton is just flat out one of the most popular players uh, on this Georgia team, social media-wise. Very few uh, – it should be studied how Kendall Milton has built his brand up because he has done as great a job as you can through your first year at college. He is tremendously beloved, and I think a lot of people expect a lot from him. But to Mike's question, and I, I, I push back a little bit because everyone, you know, they want to know who's the guy, who, who's – Who's the star running back at Georgia? And I think embracing that conversation and starting that conversation, I think undercuts why running back is a true position of strength for Georgia this year. Because you just saw it demonstrated, you have four guys that could potentially be someone's number one option, depending on how you view it. Personally, I voted in the poll. I voted for Zamir White. I think he's the most consistent running back. I know what he is getting. I know the argument might be that Kenny is the best all-around running back, but I think Zamir does a lot of good things. There's a reason he was the leading rusher for Georgia a season ago. He had 10 touchdowns, 779 yards in 10 games. I think if he gets a chance to play against some of those cupcakes, you know, he could potentially push for a thousand yard season. I think that it's also worth pointing out, well, yeah, he does have those ACL injuries. Those are two years in his past now. And, you know, Kendall Milton missed time last season. So did Kenny McIntosh and James Cook. Of the running backs listed, Zamir White was the only one that has made it through a, a, a season without having a really injury or being forced away from the field due to injury. But, you know, my larger point, it doesn't matter if I think Samir White is the best running back. It doesn't matter if you think Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, or James Cook is the best running back. Because I think when it comes down to it, the reason this position is a strength for Georgia is not because of who the top running back is, as it has often been the case with, with Georgia and running backs over the past decade. It's because they have tremendous depth at, at that position and are able to move pieces around where the guy goes down. For example, 2014, Todd Gurley gets suspended and then tears his ACL in his first game back against Auburn. The running back production, there wasn't a drop-off because they had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle behind him. You know, Nick Chubb tears his ACL then next season, or not his ACL, but basically every ligament in his knee in 2015. And George is able to turn to Sony Michelle, who rushed for over a thousand yards that season. So it's for Georgia. It's always been about the balance and the ability to get the most out of everyone and use all of their running backs, including a guy like Dejon Edwards, who on KM squared this past week, you know, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton both said he reminds them of a, of a Deandre Swift just with his size and shiftiness. So, you know, the fact that this running back room is so loaded that a guy like Lavoisier Carroll, a, a top 10 running back in the 2021 recruiting rankings has to move to the defensive side of the ball to, to help out numbers because they are so set at running back. I, I think really, best demonstrates why running back it's not going to really matter all that much who Georgia's top running back is this season. Now, you know, you can make a case for Kendall Milton. He's probably got the highest upside of any running back there. I think James Cook is your most versatile, obviously the best pass catcher. Kenny Milton is sort of a master, uh, jack of all traits, master of none. He, he's not the best, I would say, in, in any real attribute, but he does everything well. And then Zamir White is your best pass blocker, the true veteran, a, a tough physical runner, a guy who can – I think succeed in short yardage situations along with, he showed some impressive breakaway speed. You think of that long Florida run last season, he showed he was capable of ripping off some explosive plays there later on in the year. So, and you know, to tie it back to, I don't think it matters to the Georgia running backs who they think is the top running back because James cook, I gave a really eloquent and mature quote this past Friday when speaking with reporters on sort of 
what he thinks his workload should be or, or, or juggling that among the Georgia running back rooms. I thought this was a really mature and, and smart answer from James Cook. All I'm trying to do is just win and win games this year. Just go out national championship and SEC championship. That's all I'm focused on. I mean, that comes like when you do the thing, right things. So like if I get the ball, I don't, I don't. If I do, I do. So that's kind of what it is. Yeah, it's kind of what it is. I think it's well put by James Cook there. And the Georgia running back position, again, Georgia's going to have a really good running back this year. They're probably going to have someone go over 1,000 yards. They might even have potentially two guys top 1,000 yards. I think it'll be fascinating to see how they use James Cook and try to integrate him into the offense because if you're doing it smartly and not just handing him jet sweeps all the time, I think he can create real problems, as he showed last year in the game against Alabama when he had an 82-yard touchdown catch. So, I, again – you know, I get what Mike's doing. I understand it. And, and you know, it, it generated great audience reaction and was a thought-provoking tweet. But at the end of the day, when it comes to Georgia's running back position, specifically in the 2021 season, I personally don't think it matters who the top running back is. And the way this position goes, you need multiple guys at that spot. Everyone could think back to 2013 when Keith Marshall got hurt. Todd Gurley had a minor injury. And suddenly you're looking at Brandon Douglas and J.J. Green carrying the ball for you. And, and so – to try and single out one guy above the rest, I, I think it underscores the depth that they have in that running back room and ultimately why it is the strength that it is. Because, and, you know, with the way college offenses are run nowadays, yeah, yes, everyone can point to how great Najee Harris was or Travis Etienne were a season ago. But at the end of the day, if your quarterback's really good and you're forcing teams to spread out and cover all 53 yards of the field, sideline to sideline, you're going to be able to find a running back who, especially when you've recruited as well as Georgia has, that can punish and take advantage of other teams in, in those lighter boxes. So I expect Georgia to have a great running back this year. I expect them to have a great running game. I don't know if we ever figure out who the actual best running back on this team is because I think it's going to be situation to situation. I think in some situations it's going to call for Zamir White and some it's going to call for Kenny McIntosh. Some of those you can see Kendall Milton and James Cook out there. So I, I think situationally this Georgia running back room is as good as any team in the country. And ultimately when you're a play caller like Todd Munkin, I think that's one of the big things you look for is how can I put these guys in situations to take advantage of what the other defense doesn't do well. And when you have running backs who do, who have, who do everything well and are able to cover you in, in ways that, you know, make it really easy for you as a play caller to say, hey, this defense struggles with this. We have a guy like James Cook who can take advantage of that. Or this defense, you know, isn't great up the middle. We have Zamir White and Kendall Milton who can take advantage of that. So I think there's a lot of different options there at the running back position. And ultimately, the biggest reason it's a strength is not because of who the top dog is or who is better than who. It's because one through five, and I include Dejon Edwards in this discussion as well, this is as good as any running back group in the country. And that strength in numbers is why it is an absolute strength for this Georgia team. So that is our second topic. And I going a little deep there on the running back position, how we think it shake, how we think it shakes out this year. I think Zamir White's going to be your leading rusher. I think James Cook has more all purpose yards than Kendall Milton does at the end of the season, but Kendall probably has more true rushing yards. And I'll be interested to see how Kenny McIntosh fits in all this. He was a real weapon as a kick returner. A season ago, and he's someone who showed in that Peach Bowl win against Cincinnati, he can be a very reliable weapon in the passing game. So, and he's got a great uh, force miss tackle rate. So, he's someone who, again, not the fastest guy, not the quickest, doesn't have the best hands, not the best natural receiver that I think James Cook is, but he does everything well. And because of that, he's going to find himself getting reps and in situations because he's able to do everything well. 
So that's sort of our little spiel there on running backs. Moving on to our third topic, and then we're going to open it up to questions, thoughts you guys might have, questions about camp so far, position battles, how things are going there. I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Bobby Bowden, who passed away at the age of 91 on Sunday. He was the longtime head coach of Florida State from, I believe, 1976 until 2009. Uh, a, a legend, and honestly, legend might be too small of a word to describe the man that Bobby Bowden was. I believe 377 career wins, uh, 304 of those at Florida State, won two national titles, uh, 14 straight seasons from 1987 till 2000 where Florida State ended the season in the top five. Ten wins in each of those seasons. Just incredible consistency. And I mentioned that consistency in that time with all that talent. You know, there was a great video of Danny Cannell today talking about, um, you know, his time at Florida State, his senior year, 1995, where in one recruiting class they brought in Walter Jones, who's a Hall of Fame left tackle, Randy Moss, who, in my opinion, the best, the best athlete to ever play wide receiver, and Peter Wark, a, a legendary college receiver. They brought all those guys in, and because of the way Bowden had run his program and the way college football really was at that time, those guys didn't play at all. For a Florida State team that still went 10-2, and two, and if they beat Florida in the last game of the season, there's a chance they're probably playing for a national title. And so, you know, in thinking about Bowden and his legacy, all that he did for that program elevated it. I don't think we're ever really going to see another guy like Bobby Bowden again who became an institution and literally – brought Florida state up from anonymity into, you know, for a long time. And even still today, a relevant power in the college football landscape. That is not easy to do. You even look at guys like say, I'd say Kirk Ferentz or or Gary Patterson guys who have become name brands at TCU and Iowa. They have not been able to do what Bowden was able to do. And the other, the other side of the coin that it comes with Bowden and it's, it's a really good juxtaposition to me to when you look at guys like, say, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, even Kirby Smart, I think, falls into this category as well, of these guys who, you know, college football is now a 24-7, 365 sport. It, it has to be your life. You have to burn the candle at, at both ends, three ends, four ends. You're burning the candle all the time, working yourself, you know, to try and get better, try and get that little edge. And I don't think that was how Bobby Bowden viewed the game. He understood that winning was important. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had the success that they did. But he understood the life away from the game was equally important and, and even more important. He, he understood that it wasn't about recruiting and, and getting guys to the next level and, and all that sort of we talk about here around today's college football. It was about developing these guys into men and developing them into better people. Uh, above, and also if they happen to be better football players along the way, that's great as well. I, Bobby Bowden was not perfect. There are a number of, in, in hindsight, minor scandals that happened, you know, obviously the free shoes university sort of stuff, stuff where, you know, at the time, the way college sports review was viewed, these were serious stuff. And today you probably just don't even bat your eyes at it, especially with some of the other stuff that's going on out there. But more often than not, Bobby Bowden got things right. In the long run, I believe Bobby Bowden was trying to do things that he believed were for the best of these young men. And I'm not saying that today's coaches don't do that, but with the way college football is nowadays, you know, the only guy that really comes to mind as someone who could be a Bobby Bowden type figure is Dabo Sweeney. And I know Dabo's not super popular right now, especially as Georgia gets ready to play Clemson to open the season. But he is sort of a guy who has positioned himself as, hey, football's not everything. It's important to have things away from the field, family, faith, in both Bowden and Sweeney's cases there. Uh, you know, it, it is important that football, while it is a huge reason of why you are where you are, it is not your defining characteristic. And 
personally, I, I think the sport is better if we have less Urban Myers and less Nick Sabins and more Bobby Bounds and more Dabo Sweeney's because, you know, at the end of the day, while everyone is passionate about their teams and Bobby Bowden built Florida state into a, an incredibly passionate fan base out of almost nothing. At the end of the day, there are things that are more important than football. And, and actually, you know, tying it into Georgia here, Georgia's last two head coaches both worked for Bobby Bowden and they both shared some messages on on Sunday when he passed away. I don't have Coach Ricks, but I do have this from Kirby Smart. Rest in peace, Coach Bowden. I am so thankful for the influence he's had on me and so many other coaches. What a tremendous legacy. Prayers go out to the entire Bowden family. And, you know, that just sort of goes to show the impact that, that Bobby Bowden had in the coach, uh, that in not just uh, the sport of college football, but more specifically the Georgia program. I think Mark Rick was very similar to Bobby Bowden in a lot of ways. And ultimately, as, he, as his career progressed on and, and he stayed, I think, very similar to Bowden, you know, Saban's Urban Myers of the world caught up and passed him. And, and you know, that forced Georgia to really look at things differently and make a change and, and bring in a guy like Kirby Smart, who is a lot more like Nick Saban, who was his boss, much in the same way that. Rick was the longtime offensive coordinator for Florida State. So, you know, my, my closing number on Bobby Bowden here is, you know, and Brandon and I, I, I would encourage you, Brandon Adams and I had, a, I think, a really good conversation on this early uh, this morning on Dog Nation Daily. You know, it's easy to be cynical in, in how we view these coaches these days and, you know, be distrustful of them or, or think that they're not, you know, looking out for players' best interests, they're very selfish, et cetera, this, that, and the other. I actually believe that Bobby Bowden was looking out for the best of the players, that he was trying to develop them as men first, football players second. And I, you know, as someone who loves and cares about this sport, I think in the long run it's better if we have more Bobby Bowdens than, say, Nick Sabins. And, you know, unfortunately, with the way this sport is going, I don't think that's going to be borne out. And I think you're going to see a lot more of Urban Meyer, Nick Saban types than you are going to see Bobby Bowden types, which only further cements Bowden's legacy as, as you know, a legend, a trailblazer, and an icon of the sport. Um, I'll be interested to see how schools like Florida State uh, go about honoring Bowden this year. Obviously, that Florida State-Miami rivalry, uh, I'll be really interested to see sort of what is said about that game beforehand, just given the role Bowden played in elevating that rivalry at, at its time into one of the great rivalries in all of sports. And today, even today, while those programs have not been relevant, certainly on a national stage for a long time, they, you know, that game still means something, at least to me as a casual football fan, because of what Bobby Bowden was able to do. So that's our little talk there on Bobby Bowden. We can open it up for questions now, get it back to more Georgia's focus. Just wanted to, you know, share some thoughts on something I felt pretty passionate about thinking about it on Sunday. So if you have any comments or questions, ask away, fire away. Um, you know, Georgia making their way through practice. They have a big scrimmage on Saturday. I'll be really interested to see what comes out of that, how position battles go, how things go, and where where Georgia is at that point in time. Obviously, a Warren Erickson injury impacts the offensive line. So, if you have any thoughts, questions, uh, let me see. Uh, scrolling through here, go ahead and ask away. Um, let's see a lot of comments about my hair tonight. That's, that's fitting. Um, Clarence Dawson, R says Kendall Milton. Yeah. Again, uh, a lot of love for Kendall Milton. And I understand why, uh, I still, I just think, uh, I think Zamir White's a really good running back and I, you know, 
obviously the ACL injuries have impacted him a little bit, but as he continues to get healthier and healthier, and I thought he looked pretty good in that spring game, sort of showing what he can do out of the, out of the backfield. So uh, Danny Blackman with some love for Nolan Smith there. Yeah. I, I think Nolan is sneaky. One of the more fascinating players because while there are some out there that want to label him as a bust due to, you know, the number one recruiting ranking that he came in with, he was playing by, he was playing the exact same position that Aziz Ojolari was. Aziz Ojolari led the SEC in sacks a season ago. You know, it's not like it, Nolan Smith was playing behind some bum and can't crack the rotation. He was playing last year. He had two and a half sacks. The reason he didn't play more is because Georgia arguably had the best pass rusher in the SEC, the best conference in the country, playing the exact same position in front of him. And so I'll be really interested to see, sort of similarly to how we talked about Trayvon Walker earlier tonight, how he sort of steps into a larger role this season, now no longer being blocked by a guy above him. So I think Nolan Smith will be really fascinating to watch uh, develop this season. So let's see. Um, yeah, so Phil Bulverstreet and uh, a couple people asking about the offensive line. Uh, the Warren Erickson injury is very interesting. Uh, it's a hand injury right now. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. But to me, the guy that is actually impacted most by this isn't Cedric Von Prahn, who, who is going to get a lot of the first team reps while Erickson is on the mend. It's a guy like Tate Ratledge because – I think you could sell yourself on, okay, Erickson has played a lot, was the sixth offensive lineman last season, started the last two games of the year, was someone who I think could help Tate Ratledge potentially make his first career start in that game against Clemson. And now if Erickson's not able to do that at the center position, you wonder, all right, do they maybe feel a little more comfortable playing guys who have played more, say Xavier Trust at left tackle, Jamar, that would move Jamari Sari to left guard, and then uh, Justin Schaefer to right guard as well. Or – what can now happen, say say they feel confident in what Cedric Von Prime is able to do over these next couple of weeks, and Warren Erickson isn't healthy enough to snap, but he's still healthy enough to play. What if they go Cedric Von Prime at center and then Tate Ratley, or uh, excuse me, Warren Erickson at right guard? I, I think this has a big impact on what we ultimately see from Ratledge. Now, can Ratledge still be one of the five best Georgia offensive linemen and thus earn a sparting spot? Absolutely. But, you know, I don't know how – comfortable Kirby Smart would feel per se if Cedric Von Prawn, a redshirt freshman and Tate Ratledge, a redshirt freshman are making their first career starts against that Clemson defensive line. And so I'll be interested to see sort of how it all plays out and how Erickson's health situation sort of develops over the next couple of weeks, because it was similar to, I, I think Kendall, Kendall Milton, Cedric Von Prawn is a very popular player. And while there's a, people who think he has a lot of upside based on his recruiting ranking, if Erickson's not hurt, there's no debate about who is going to be the starting center week one for Georgia. It was going to be Warren Erickson. Uh, he had impressed in the spring, and I think it continued to develop as a player. And as someone who started at the right guard position in that bowl game against Baylor back at the end of the 2019 season. So the coaching staff felt very comfortable with what they had in Warren Erickson. And so it'll be interesting to see how this impacts, obviously, Cedric Von Prawn. Some other names to know behind him, say Austin Blasky, Cameron Kinney, guys who could get more snaps quite literally at that center position. So we'll see how it goes there. Uh, Foster Moss, uh, ask you about Dominic Playock. The latest we have heard on him, he had not yet been cleared when we talked to Kirby Smart on Friday. Still working his way back from that ACL injury. Uh, we, we said all summer, Georgia is fortunately in a position where they can afford themselves to be cautious with Blaylock and his recovery here. Second ACL injury to the very same one he tore in December of 2019. So, I, you know, you will see Dominic Blaylock play at some point this season. 
I don't think it'll be that first game against Clemson. They're going to they're gonna take their time and let him heal and be totally 100% ready to go because they have very good depth, depth at that wide receiver position. They have guys that they got to figure out how to get on the field, say Narian Smith or Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. So, well, yes, I think a lot of people want to see Dominic Blaylock. And look, there's, there's no bigger Dominic Blaylock fan than myself. Uh, they're in a well-positioned spot to where they can be cautious and bring him along slowly after recovering from that ACL injury. Yeah, and Kevin Cook, you uh, you bring up a, a certainly a fair point. SVP will could do very well at center and may not relinquish the job after he get a chance. That's sort of what happened with Trey Hill in that, I believe, 2018 season where they put him in the lineup and then they just realized, oh, we, we can't really take this guy out. Uh, William Gleaton asked, he was the third center. That would be uh, Austin Blasky as of right now, a fellow 2020 signee. Um, let's see. Comments, thoughts, questions. Uh, Andy Himes, what game concerns you most? I mean, obviously it's Clemson, but that's that's cheating, obviously. Uh, they are so far and away better than every team Georgia will see on that schedule. So the team that worries me the second most, it's not Florida at this point. I want to see what they're able to do running the ball this season. I think I, I kind of like Emory Jones in, in Florida maybe a little bit more than some of you guys do, obviously. But – uh, I'm really interested to see what Kentucky looks like. They brought a new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, from the Los Angeles Rams. They have a lot of talent on the offensive and defensive lines. It's just the question that's going to come down to them is what do they get out of their quarterbacks? And also I would say their wide receivers as well. So I'm interested to see how that team develops. And I don't know if this is the year that you know maybe Kentucky can take down Georgia, something they haven't done against Kirby Smart yet. That's a team that has given Georgia a lot of issues in recent seasons. You know, you think back 2019, that game was 21 nothing. It was 0 0 at halftime. Obviously, played in a torrential downpour last year, 14 3. And so, Kentucky has had some success keeping it relatively close against this Georgia team. So, I'll be interested to see how that game goes. It's the week after the Auburn game, the week before the bye game. You think, you know, you wonder where Georgia's head might be going into that bye week. So, I think that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Marshall Fleming. Yeah. Uh, Amarius Mims would not surprise me. It would surprise me if he starts that first game against Clemson, but at some point during the 2021 season would not surprise me in the slightest. You see Amarius Mims is Georgia's starting left tackle there. He is that physically gifted, uh, early on. Um, let's see. Yeah, so uh, let's keep going. Questions, comments. We might wrap this up rather rather shortly. Yeah, Robert Moody. Uh, Dan Lanning was sort of asked about this today, about Keely Ringo. Um, you know, not getting to play at all last year, I, I think it's pretty clearly impacted Keely. Even, say, from a guy like Jalen Kimber, who didn't get a ton of playing time last season, but at least was able to practice and go through things with this Georgia team. So, Ringo's got some ground to make up, you know, expecting him to be the guy there against Clemson week one. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case right now, starting opposite Darian Kendrick, but I think he's, he's going to be a guy that Georgia wants to play often in that game. He's going to play against Clemson because again, I, I don't see how you can talk about the importance of game experience and how important it is to, to get that for Keely Ringo and then just not play him. So he's going to play in that Clemson game. They're going to try and get him that game experience when they can, but to expect him to be, you know, the guy out there when it's a key, you need a key third down stop. I don't know if that's going to be the case for the first game of the season. 
Uh, Kevin Green, I think you're going to see Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff throw passes this year. Uh, Georgia, I think, is a unique opportunity where because of the way their schedule sets up. And now you've seen Alabama do this in, in Clemson as well, where when they get up big in some of these games, you know, they, they work their backups in specifically the court, their young quarterbacks as a way to develop them. And I think you're going to see both Carson and Brock Vandergriff uh, get the opportunity to do so. I thought it was very interesting how effusive Kirby Smart was with his praise of Brock Vandergriff at his press conference on Friday. That sort of caught my eye a little bit in terms of, okay, maybe, you know, is this Kirby just sort of politicking here, trying to keep Brock Vandergriff happy? Or does he truly believe this? And, and you know, if, if Vandergriff is doing this this early, I think that's that was very well for his potential to, I think, one day replace JT Daniels as the starting quarterback at Georgia. Um, Let's see. Uh, Andy Himes, this is a very, this will be our last question. Cause I like this. Uh, cause, cause this is the way I, I like to think who is the starting defensive back for UGA in the SEC championship games. That is, I believe, uh, December 4th. Uh, I think you're going to see Darian Kendrick as, as a starter there. I, I feel pretty confident about that. That's why they brought him in. I think you're going to see Lewis C and Chris Smith as your safeties. I think those guys are very good. And, and I think position to take a leap. Uh, as far as from what we saw at the end of last season, seeing in particular, I'll be interested to see how he develops as a playmaker. Uh, I think Tyke Smith is probably going to be your star that you could see, say, Akili Ringo move in there as the season develops, just given his size and speed and intangibles. And, you know, right now, until I see him on the field and see how he goes up, I, I feel comfortable saying that Jalen Kimber could be that guy. Now, could be a mere speed, could say Nyland Green develop by that point in the year. Certainly, I could see that as a possibility. But, you know, right now, I think Kimber has the edge. And until, you know, we see how he holds up in coverage, I think we have to sort of see, you know, what these guys look like. Because, you know, you saw last season, say, on the offensive line, Owen Condon had a great camp, goes out, starts week one, and Georgia realizes pretty quickly, hey, let's go with Warren McClendon and see what he does. And from there, Warren McClendon never gave up that right tackle spot and ultimately earned freshman All-American honors. So, It'll be interesting to see, you know, once guys like Kimber and Ringo get onto the field, you could say the same for Kendrick and Tyke Smith as well, how those guys continue to develop. So that'll be it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, We still have a ton of video work coming this week. Uh, Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, uh, before the Hedges with Jeff Sintel. Uh, We're going to do a cover four on Thursday. You've got Brandon Adams every Monday through Friday with Dog Nation Daily. Mike Griffiths on the beat on Friday night. Uh, Todd Munkin is going to speak on Thursday. Make sure to check out that. We're going to have a ton of content coming out of that. That should be really interesting. We don't get to hear from Munkin often. So I'll be interested to sort of see what he says and the questions that he has asked about that. So uh, without further ado, that is going to do it for us here tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. This has been Connor in coverage. My name is Connor Riley. Have a great Tuesday night and a great rest of the week.